0: All right, so we're returning to Jesus' questions. Jesus' questions. And He has asked us a question, um, why do you worry? We looked at that about four weeks ago. Why do you doubt? And His question for us today is, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? Do not notice the log that is in your own eye. This question comes to us from the text of Matthew chapter 7. It's in uh, toward the end of the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And it's in a passage that, is, that is, has one of the most quoted verses of our day and age. And it is also at the same time one of the most misunderstood verses In our not only secular culture, but also unfortunately in the church as well. So let's turn to Matthew 7, chapter, or Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. And let's think about the real encouragement that we receive from Jesus as we focus on this passage. Matthew 7, 1 through 5. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? But do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that it would penetrate our hearts. I know this week as I studied it, um, it's so convicting to hear this question from you, these questions from you in the passage, to hear your statement, do not judge, and to know our own hearts. And so enlighten us, Lord, this morning in this passage. Teach us, help us to know it, to understand it, and to turn to You. We thank You in Christ's name. Amen. In this sermon... Um, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, through the passage, continues with the essential theme. And, and that essential theme is, if you don't know it, the kingdom of God. That's really what he's focusing on there. And, and throughout, especially uh, chapter 6, he's reveal, revealed key attitudes and actions of kingdom people. And these attitudes and actions are to be lived out by kingdom people. So as we come to Matthew chapter 7, it is a passage about our evaluation of other people, about judging others, especially in terms of our regard to their faults. Here the Lord Jesus emphasizes the connection between the faults we notice in others and our own problems. So the underlining issue we are to see here is the way that we think about and speak about our neighbor reveals much about our own experience of God's grace. Jesus' followers are to gracefully discern their own faults before examining the faults of others. So the question that Jesus asked compels us to evaluate ourselves. As one theologian put it, If we are quick to condemn, then perhaps we have not been refreshed ourselves by the freedom of God's mercy to us. If we are not ready to be merciful, then perhaps we ourselves have not known the mercy and the love that God shed abroad in our own hearts. So let's unpack this this morning. And we're going to consider basically two points. The two points are going to be Jesus' view of judging... And then the remedy of a judgmental heart. Jesus' view of judging and then the remedy of a judgmental heart. And so Jesus' view of judging, if we look back at verse 1, if you look back at verse 1 with me, we see here plainly that Jesus says, judge not that you be not judged. The verb crino or judge in the Greek has a wide range of meaning in its usage. Uh, to judge judicially, to condemn, or to discern. And it's a present active prohibition of judge not. And that means that it indicates the ending of an activity that is in progress. So Jesus is saying, this is going on in your heart right now. And so, cease this. Jesus is addressing an issue that His listeners were Presently struggling with. He speaks to us too. So as we read these words that Jesus said as Christians, we may have a true sense of confusion at them. And this is where we get the misinterpretation lots of times. Should no one have the right to tell anyone else how to live? Uh, Do parents... um, have a right to set standards for their children are traffic laws merely a suggestion should anyone anywhere be allowed to impose standards upon others um, when we're traveling lots of times we listen to books and for some reason we didn't we didn't listen to any books except i think alone where um, in our the car we were driving our our sound systems a little messed up and so so um, about halfway back on the second day of our travels back home, I started listening to a book, and I listened to it throughout the last uh, week or so, and, and it's a story. It was an interesting story, and it was about a story of a man who was convicted of attempted murder, uh, actually double murder. Um, It was a story that was based out of, uh, it was actually an actor who was uh, a native Alaskan. And he just went kind of crazy. And his mother died. And while people came to kind of check on her and to see what was going on, he got very angry and he shot into the crowd. And then he ran off several times and then he ran off into the wilderness, which is not very smart for him to do there in, in, in Alaska. And so as he traveled, he traveled many miles to this cabin and it just so happened that there were two brothers that were hunters that that went to the cabin and they had no idea he was there. And so they went into the cabin with him and he kind of like acted like he was supposed to be there and acted like he was uh, uh, with them and everything. And he ended up grabbing one of their guns and he shot one of the brothers point blank in the chest. Missing his heart by millimeters. He shot the other brother in the arm. And then, so they ran off into the woods. And it's a crazy story about how they ended up surviving. And then he took all their gear, ran off in the woods, left them for dead. They found some radio that worked actually in the house. Were able to contact help, get help, get rescued, so then they set up a a place to capture the brother. Well everybody expected the worst but the 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 I'm sorry not the brother but the man who shot them. So the man who shot them made his way down back to the town into the down the river and as he came into the place they easily took him. He he just gave up to them. What I found interesting about the next part of the story was is that uh, the man who shot them you know, had a brother who witnessed his own brother being arrested. And as he was taken away, he says, I love you, brother. And so the, the author of the book interviewed him and he asked him some questions. And, and this is one of the things he said. Listen, I'm telling you, with very colorful language, by the way. He says, listen to me, I'm telling you. I'm telling you here, you better not judge him. We don't know his heart. You better not judge him. And this audio book that I was listening to actually has his voice saying that. And I thought to myself, is that what Jesus would really mean here? We're not to judge. Is that what Jesus means? Are we just to let live or let kill in this case? And, and it's all good? So, what does Jesus mean by this? Well, it can't be that we're to treat good and evil alike. That's not what Jesus means. That we are to regard moral distinctions as matters of indifference. We're not to do that. Nor is he forbidding the use of critical faculty. He's not forbidding that either. So he can't mean those things because if we read the Scripture just a little bit, just a smidgen, we'll see that if that's what he meant, then Jesus stands contrary to the whole of Scripture. So that's not what he means for example, if you look down with me in verse 6 of this chapter, we see Jesus himself goes on to speak of some people being as dogs and pigs. It sounds a little judgmental to me. Look at the passage do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. If you go on in verses 15 through 20 of this chapter, he warns against false prophets. Elsewhere, He and the Scriptures demand that people make a right judgment. You could see those things in John 7, 24, 1 Corinthians 5, 5, Galatians 1, 8 through 9, Philippians 3, 2, 1 John 4, 1. As a matter of fact, we just finished studying 1 John. And 1 John is all about discerning the truth. Discerning the issues. All this presupposes that some kind of judging is not only legitimate, but in fact mandated. Even in this passage, verse 5, the passage that we read this morning that we're looking at says, we are to help our brothers and sisters in Christ take the speck of sin, in their, oh, help take that speck of sin out of their lives when we see it. We're supposed to help them. And so if the Lord Jesus then assumes that we are going to make judgment, that we are going to have a hopefully informed opinion, that we're going to make assessments, and that we're going to think someone else is in error, having fault, then what does Jesus mean here? That is actually revealed in the illustration He uses. Uh, Sinclair Ferguson makes it vivid this way. And I just love his kind of um, uh, sort of interpretation of this verse here. He says, Jesus is saying, do you see that man over there? Do you see that man? He has a plank of wood in his eyes. So what on earth is he doing? Listen to him. He, my friend, the man is saying, I see there is a tiny speck of dust in the corner of your eye. Let me get it out for you. Ferguson responds, isn't that ridiculous? I saw a movie one time, as a matter of fact, one of my favorite kind of Jesus movies, on the book of Matthew, and in the story, Jesus is you know, on the mountain, and there's all these people around him, and he grabs someone's stick, which is like this big pole, and he goes, hey, you've got a log in your eye. And I thought, that was genius, and I wonder, did Jesus do something like that? Did he take a stick or something there on the ground or take someone's staff and kind of walk around like that as he's he's telling this story? You have a log in your eye. It's visual. It's it's grandiose for us to see that we would have a log in our eye and yet be worried about a little splinter, a a little piece of wood in another person's eye. So what is wrong with such a man? He is looking for uh, sin in another person. He is pouncing on that sin when he sees it. He is so absorbed in his campaign that he is blind to the fact that he has sin in his own life that is far greater than anything he sees in the life of another Dunstott calls this the sin of since sens- I can't even say this word, sinceriousness. He says that sincerious, the sincerious critic is a fault finder who is negative and destructive toward other people and enjoys actively seeking out their failings. In other words, this censorious person is being severely critical of others. He's just Critical at heart, so Jesus prohibits this fault finding, negative and destructive attitude towards others—the critical spirit of judgment. It's not hard to spot, is it? I think we could see it in our own eyes. Um, I reposted a, a blog by Scott Sauls the other day in which he. And I call this, it's not confronts, but he care fronts, okay? So he care fronts this kind of harsh, judgmental attitude. And he gives an example all too familiar to us Justine Sacco, a PR consultant who posted a, an offensive tweet of just 12 words to her 170 followers while boarding a flight to South America received this type of, 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 of criticism. Um, the tweet that she uh, put out there was just, it was uncalled for. I mean, you just read it, I read it, and I was like, wow, that's very uncalled for. But what happened to her is just unbelievable. 12 words, 170 followers. Think about that. She gets up in a plane, she flies to South, of, South Africa, she lands... Her plane lands. She starts getting tweet after tweet after I mean text message after text message after text message. Her friend tells her to call her. She she before she gets a chance to, her friend calls her and she says, "You have got to understand. Your tweet is now like viral. It is the number one tweet in the world." In a stop. Uh, Saul says in a few short hours she had become the headline, the inhumane bigot, and common enemy to tens of thousands of people on the basis of 12 words. She lost her career and the life she once knew. Looking back on the incident, Justine said, I had a great career. I love my job, and it was taken away from me. And there was a lot of glory in that. Everybody was happy about it. Sauls continues, imagine for a moment your entire life, all you had ever done or worked for, it reduced to a 10 second lapse of character and judgment and those you brought and those who brought you down they never met you or heard of you before today and will never again think of you after today to those who brought you down your name was never sacred rather it was a product of outrage porn to be consumed and evangelized as the latest cheap thrill your character assassins will never have to look you in the eye nor will they be held accountable for turning you into a nothing or for their blatant disregard for your whole image-bearing person. Wow. We see it happen all the time around us today in our culture, don't we? You see, Jesus knows the world we live in This is the judge not that Jesus speaks of. He prohibits this sincerious, fault-finding, negative and destructive attitude toward others. He prohibits a critical spirit of judgment. And so while we may look at the world and, and see what they tweet or what they press into the media or what they say or whatever else the case may be Jesus is speaking to us so where do we see this type of of behavior in our lives perhaps you may think back to a time recently when you made a statement about someone's behavior was preface with something like well I can't believe they did that I would never do that or maybe consider the things that really infuriate you. What makes you almost blow up in anger instantly. Ferguson helpfully notes, outbursts of anger can be expressions of a heart that does not know how to say, there but by the grace of God I go. Just what types of sins do you easily see in others, but often have a hard time seeing in yourself? How may Jesus be speaking to you about this into your life? So coming back to the question, Jesus asks, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own? Further, he asks, or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? What does he expect in response from us to that question? Well, he offers a serenity here. He offers us a guide, a guide that is that, that turns us away from a judgmental heart. That turns us away from, you know, when we look at the world. You know, again, I think Ferguson makes a great point here. I hope you caught it. There, but for the grace of God, I go there but by, but for the grace of god i go we can be just a hairs away from being like the world so he gives us a remedy he calls us away from that deep leveled sinful heart so he gives us a remedy for our judgmental heart so what about this what does he give us the first remedy that he gives us is to remember that we are not to judge or we or we will be judged Again, this is not, um, uh, this is, I should say, the sincerest judgmental attitude that we should avoid. Um, the next important question is after we think about when Jesus says, Do not judge, least you be judged, is who is it that would be judging us? What does the text say? What do we see there? Well, it's obvious that the text is leading us to see that. If we do judge, it will be God who judges us himself. Think about it this way you have a recording voice or a recording device, and it's put around your neck, and you walk around and you live your life for a week, and it records every time that you make a moral judgment about another person, and then it's played back to Christ. All those moral judgments that come from our own mouth, um, they compare uh, someone else's life to our own standards. They're played out for Jesus. How would you feel about that? Well, the reality is, is that he hears us. He's God, he, he knows. And so, this is why he's giving us a remedy. The remedy is, is to remember who judges the judges, who is it that judges? It is God. He has the knowledge. Which is why he told those people then that were sitting there listening to his Sermon on the Mount, and he tells us now, this is a remedy. Remember who it is that judges. Second remedy was to remember that the measure we use on others will be used on us. Um, you know this this standard that that Jesus gives that that, that is laid out for us in Scripture is not always the standard that we use to judge other people. We use our own measure to judge. But what God says here is is that He will use His measure or our measure that we have used. In Romans two one, He says, "Therefore you have no excuse, O man! Every one of you who judges for passing judgment on another." You condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. He wants us to be aware of this truth, of this reality. Don um, Doriani notes that when we measure others by a standard, it shows that we accept the standard so that God can judge us by it. God can ask, if you condemn others for telling half-truths, do you tell half-truths? If you condemn those who break commitments, do you ever break a commitment? If you condemn theft, are you, honestly, are you honest on a financial level? If you hate careless remarks that hurt others, do you watch your own words? We are to remember that since we violate the standards that we use to measure others, we are liable to God's standard of judgment. However, if we hope, if we hope in the mercy of Christ, we ought to show that mercy. Do you see the difference there? If we hope in Christ's mercy, ought we not show His mercy? So instead of judgment, we are to live a life of extending the mercy of Christ to others. The third remedy that he gives us is that we should attend to ourselves first before we attend to others. Here, we really come back to the question from Jesus. Why do we not notice the log that is in our own eye? Why don't we notice that? Jesus here is saying that we must notice the log or the beam that is in our eye. Our tendency is to downplay or trivialize our own sins. We can even be downright blind to them. On the contrary, we often blow up or magnify the sins of others. Jesus is telling us here that our sins should be much more painfully large to us in the sight of our neighbors. And their sins ought to be much more insignificant in terms of our sins in comparison. You know the way it is. You... You know, one of the things that I've heard often from students and even workers is you have a a, a project team or a a school team, an academic team, and, and you're working on it together. And one of the things I'll hear over and over again is, is that, well, Pam, just Pam, if she hadn't been on our team. Or, or Jim, Jim just really hurt our team this time. Or Dwight was such a frustrating whiner. If he hadn't gotten off track so many times, then maybe I would have been okay. Maybe I would have been okay. It's interesting how we will bring up in a situation like that, the other person's faults first. Before we bring up our own. It must be noted here too, that as we receive these remedies, we are instructed to help others with sins. Notice that we are instructed to help others with sins. Galatians 6 1 tells us that we are to, if we see a brother in a transgression, that it's the scripture says those who are spiritual should restore him gently. Anytime I've ever been on a, a um A you know, judicial type situation in a session meeting, or even in presbytery, I'm always encouraged when we pull out the Book of Church Order that that verse is there, and that verse goes on to warn us that we should guard our own hearts, that so we do not fall into the same sin. So, whenever we have had a a matter that we dealt with someone. We've used that book of church order that has this verse in it and we've read that verse to the whole group of people before we ever asked the person who was charged in a a sin or something of of troubling nature before they came in to talk to us. We've read that. That we would not go past the Word of God and not check our own eyes first for sin. That's what Jesus is asking us to do here. He's not just saying, don't help people with their sin. But before you do, check your own eyes first. Check your own sins first. Now as we walk through these remedies, you may be thinking, well Patrick, those don't sound like remedies to me. They sound like warnings. More like warnings. And I would say that We're both right. We're both right. Let me tell you how. The remedy to a judgmental attitude is an understanding of one's own need for spiritual healing. For righteousness and for mercy. The question is this. Where do we get that understanding? Where do we get that spiritual healing, that righteousness, that mercy, that grace? Where do we get that? From Jesus. We get it from Jesus. You see, what these remedies do, and and these warnings, if you want to call them that, what they do is they drive us to the end of ourselves. You know, when I'm reading this and I read it, and if I read it just as law, if I read it as just pure law, um, I feel helpless. I feel helpless because I don't don't have the power to do that. There's a great chance that I'm going to walk out of this service and and I'm going to fall into this trap here. I'm going to judge somebody. There's a great chance, if you noticed, in several of the comments I made, when we went through the affirmation of faith, what did I say at the end? said, it would be nice if Congress would do this with us, wouldn't it? Did I make a judgment on Congress? I might have. Is that a wise judgment? I don't know. It might be. Would I like that? I would love that if Congress would come along and And believe those things. If we if we could have true justice, you see, that's the issue. I cannot do it on my own. I will fail almost every single time. But if I will consider that God will judge me, and if and if I can run to that judge for mercy myself as he offers me mercy in Christ. As I consider the measure in which I would judge others by or consider my own sins. And if I would then turn then to the one who is the perfect measure, Jesus. And if I would understand that God has judged Jesus in my place, my sin for his righteousness. I can realize that if we are indeed united to Christ Jesus through the cross our end time judgment is already behind us we're therefore liberated from judging others why because of our lavish exoneration through the free grace of Christ I'm free I'm empowered by Jesus Christ to follow his kingdom Values. So let me tell you a little, one little practical thing you can do. Okay. I think that when the scripture tells us to to have all our thoughts taken captive to Christ, I think that's an important verse for us to understand and get. Whether it's anger, whether it's judgmental attitude, whether it's lustful thoughts, whatever the case may be. If we will take those thoughts captive and give them to Christ and go, Lord, I repent of those things. I think I've said this before, but in my life, what I try to do is, is I try to narrow the time of my sin, <laughs> if that makes sense. When you know, if I have that thought and I know it's a, you know, like if I know it's a judgmental thought, I try to shorten that and go, Lord, that's a judgmental thought. No. But if I keep, like for example, I'm probably, me I'll tell you this, I'm the worst judger when it comes to driving in the world. You know, I'm like the worst. Michael Wicklin, my buddy uh, that lives in uh, Alabama, might be worse than me, but not by much. And see, I just threw him under the bus. You see what I'm saying? See, I've already failed. I did it again. But when I have that thought, if I can take it to Christ right away, right away, as soon as I can, and repent of it. I'm staying in that good relationship with the Lord. Does that make sense? You know, we need help, don't we? I was working at a copy machine. Play. I used to, in my past life, I worked on copy machines. I was a copy machine tech. And um, I was a young man, and I was trained, and I came into an office one day. My boss was in there and about two other technicians that had been in this thing for years. And my boss was just ranting and raving uh, angrily about this copy machine. He goes, I don't know what to do. So you don't know, want like a piece of paper at the top. When it copies, like either edge, it'll have like, if you've ever noticed, if you leave the copy lid open, it takes a picture of the sky, and it's all black. So it's all dark because all the ink, you know, adheres to the page because it's taking a picture of that. So he could not get the top of the page. He couldn't get this little line that was like taking a picture of the sky. He couldn't get it off. And so on those machines, you you had this little adjustment that you could adjust where, you know, the picture was taken on the machine and therefore take that 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 picture of the sky away, and he couldn't do it. And all those technicians had been in there, and they were working on it and working on it, and they were so angry, and he couldn't figure it out. He was going to call the company and just fuss at them about it. They had just sent this new machine out, and it was awful and everything. And um, I said, well, take it, yeah, do a copy of it. I mean, I'm just, I, I'm nothing. You have to understand, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. I'm just, I just got hired. I, I'm nothing. I said, take a picture, you know, take a copy for me. And he took a copy for me, and I got down and I looked. And I'm like, here's your problem. He's like, what? I said, this is, wrong, this is the wrong cover for this. The cover's about that short. Look at it. And sure enough, he says, I've been in here like three or four hours just banging my head on this thing, and you come in here in two minutes and solve the problem. Now, they thought I was the greatest copier tech in the world, and that was just a lie. I just observed something. We need eyes to look into our hearts. Sometimes we need one another. So we need someone to help us to see an error that we have. But even more than that, we need the Lord Jesus. That's why we run to the gospel. The Lord Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit can look in your heart. Get rid of the sin Get rid of the log and help you live His kingdom values before Him. And prepare you, as we sang earlier, and as we read earlier, prepare us for the kingdom to come. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much. Thank You so much for Your love and mercy to us. For the grace that we have in Christ. That even as we hear this this strong charge from You, Lord Jesus, we know that it is only in You and our being united to You and our being saved by You that we can actually live this out. So by the power of the Holy Spirit, we ask that You would help us to grow day by day, step by step, inch by inch toward holiness toward being more and more like you, our precious Lord and Savior. Thank you so much for the grace, and the glory, and the mercy that you have given us. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.